We're continuing to look in 1 Timothy chapter 6 as Paul shares with this young man Timothy and with us the value and dangers of money and things. We live in a consumer culture. It's estimated that the average American has spent more or has seen more than one million commercials by the time that they're 20. We're constantly bombarded with advertisements telling us what we can't live without. Have you ever watched, how many, never mind, I'm not going to have you raise your hand, but uh, the infomercials, don't, don't raise your hand, but, but it's amazing. You, you sit there and you, you turn on the TV and, and you come across one of those, whether it's like one of the two-minute ones or one of the 30-minute ones, and, and, and you sit there and you look and you realize, wow, I can't live without this. Now, five minutes before, I didn't even know it existed. But obviously, I can't live without it. We all struggle with greed, hoarding what we have and coveting what we want. Paul warns us about the power and danger of greed here in some of these verses in the passage here in 1 Timothy chapter 6. Let's pray and ask for God's guidance and direction Father, as we look at your word this morning, may we recognize that you are the God who owns it all. And Lord, as you have said, that you give us all things richly to enjoy. Lord, help us not to be focused on things, rather to help us to be focused on you. Help us not to be consumed by the desire for things. But Lord, help us to grow in our desire for you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, last week we focused on verses 6 through 8, talking about how godliness with contentment is great gain, and, we've, and we looked at the importance of godliness, but the foundation of contentment. This morning we're going to be looking at verses 9 and 10, but I want us to begin reading back in verse 6. So 1 Timothy chapter 6, we'll be reading verses 6 through 10. Follow along as I read. It says, Now godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out. And having food and clothing with these, we shall be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and a snare and into many foolish and harmful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil, for which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. In verses 9 and 10, Paul shares some of the dangers of greed. We see that greed tempts us to do whatever it takes to get what we want. Last weekend, we looked at uh, contentment, and we defined contentment as an inner sufficiency that keeps us at peace in spite of outward circumstances. Contentment is a necessary foundation for a proper attitude toward money and things. But this is where we see a great contrast between greed and contentment. 
When we are living a life of contentment, we are at peace in spite of or no matter our circumstances. While greed focuses on the circumstances and it believes and teaches that our happiness is based upon what we have. Greed focuses on what we want. Verse 9 begins, But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation. That word desire there in verse 9 is an addictive determination. We have all seen people who struggle with addiction. Maybe you struggle with addiction. And it controls our lives. We have a difficult time thinking about anything else. We are addicted to whatever it is. And that's what Paul is saying here, that that those who desire to be rich, it's an addiction, a determination that I've got to have these certain things. Greed involves a, a possessiveness and a covetousness. A possessiveness, I'm not willing to share what I have, and a covetousness, an unhealthy desire to possess what I do not have. So I see that that greed involves holding on to what I have with clenched fists and an unhealthy desire to possess what I do not have. We all have desires. But when desires control my life, It becomes sin. And again, it's not just the things that I don't have, but also how I handle the things that I do have. When I'm controlled by greed, I am more concerned by how to get what I want than how I honor God in the way that I live. Honesty and integrity can go out the window as long as I get what I desire. You've heard the phrase, the end justifies the means, which, by the way, is not a scriptural phrase. I I can get whatever I want, no matter what it takes, no matter how I have to work to get it. Greed. So how can I tell if desire has become sin? Well, I'm going to break it down into three simple parts. Desire becomes sin when I'm obsessed by it. Desire becomes sin when I cannot be content without it. And desire becomes sin when I am jealous of others who have it. If I want something, that's okay, but if, it, if I'm obsessed by it, it's all I can think about, then it's becoming sin. Or if I say, I cannot be content with whatever it is, then it's sin. Or I'm jealous of others who have it. Covetousness controls my life. And greed, can, greed causes us to disregard others in order to get what we want. This is important to recognize. God created us to love people and to use things. But greed causes us to use people and love things. 
I'll use whoever in whatever way to get what I want. So we see greed tempts us to do whatever it takes to get what we want. But not only that, a second danger of greed is that greed traps us into the foolish notion that more will satisfy. We've all heard the statement, if only I had, and then you can fill in the blank. If only I had this position, life would be good. If only she said yes, then life would be good and I would be content. If only I had that house or that car or that job or whatever the situation, whatever the fill in the blank is, then I would be happy. Greed traps us into that foolish notion to think that more will satisfy. Greed makes us think that more will be enough. But reality teaches us that more is never enough. Howard Hughes, the uh, eccentric millionaire. How many of you know of Howard Hughes? He lived a while back, but yeah, most of you do. Howard Hughes, he he worked in aviation and other things, a multi-multi-millionaire. He was asked this question, how much is enough? His answer was, just a little bit more. By the way, if you've followed Howard Hughes's life and story, he died in misery. Very sad and depressing ending to his life. But we need to think about it in another way. G.K. Chesterton said this, There are two ways to get enough. One is to continue to accumulate more and more. The other is to desire less. Solomon was considered the wisest and wealthiest man in the world, and he recognized the foolishness of greed. Unfortunately, he had made many mistakes before he he recognized that things won't satisfy. And if you read the book of Ecclesiastes, It's really Solomon's autobiography of his attempt to find satisfaction. And and if you go through the book, it's amazing. He, He talks about all the things that he had. He was the king of the most powerful nation or one of the most powerful nations of the world at his time. He had more than you could imagine. People would come to see the amazing accumulation of wealth that Solomon had gained. But if you read through Ecclesiastes, he goes through and he talks about all these different things that he tried to bring satisfaction. But one of the most used words in this book, this book that he wrote, is the, book, is the word vanity or worthless. Worthless, worthless. All is worthless. And if you read through section after section, he said, I tried this. I tried pleasure. I tried profit. I tried work. I tried things. I tried all of these different ways to find satisfaction. But we can cheat and go to the end of the story. In Ecclesiastes chapter 12, Solomon recognizes to honor God and keep his commandments. That is the only way we can find satisfaction. 
But as he's going through this list of all these different things that he's, that he's trying to find satisfaction through, we come to Ecclesiastes chapter 5, and, and it's interesting. He's been sharing all these things, and then he sort of just steps back, and he, and he, and he sort of encapsulates how foolish it is to try to find satisfaction in things. And in Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verses 10 through 15, he gives this encapsulated view of, of how foolish the accumulation of things is in order to try to find satisfaction. So we're going to look at it a verse at a time here in these actually six verses, verses 10 through 15, and then paraphrase what he's saying for each one. Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verse 10 says, "'Whoever loves money never has enough.'" Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with their income. This, too, is meaningless. What's he telling us? The more you have, the more you want. And what you have will never bring satisfaction. It's been said that desire, that greed is like drinking salt water. The more you drink, the more you desire. Solomon goes on in verse 11 and continues on, Ecclesiastes 5.11, As goods increase, so do those who consume them. And what benefit are they to the owners except to feast their eyes on them? What's he saying? The more things you have, the more others come after them. And they don't really benefit you. You hear the stories of, of people who win the lottery and think, okay, we've arrived. And it's amazing how many long-lost cousins come out of the woodwork, right? Everybody wants it. But also, they don't find joy in it. Solomon said that about 3,000 years ago. Ecclesiastes 5.12, The sleep of a laborer is sweet whether they eat little or much. But as for the rich, their abundance permits them no sleep. What's he saying? The more you have, the more you have to worry about. Remember what Paul said in, in Philippians chapter 4? We looked at it last week. He said, I have learned to be content. And we talked about that. It, it's a learned activity. Whether I had little or much... And I love the way Solomon says it here. He says, the laborer sleeps well whether he has little or much. But the rich, their abundance permits them no sleep. Ecclesiastes 5.13, I have seen a grievous evil under the sun, wealth hoarded to the harm of its owners. What's he saying? The more you have, the harder and more painful it is to hold on to. And then Ecclesiastes 5.14, or wealth lost through some misfortune, so that when they have children, there is nothing left for them to inherit. What's he saying? The more you have, the more you have to lose. And then verse 15, everyone comes naked from their mother's womb, and as everyone comes, so they depart. They take nothing from their toil that they can carry in their hands. What's he saying? The more you have, 
the more you leave behind. We talked about that last week. Verse 8 talked about very similar to Ecclesiastes 5.15. 1 Timothy 6.8 talks about how we came into this world with nothing. We will leave it with nothing. We use the picture of the hearse with the U-Haul. You never see a U-Haul going behind a hearse. The more you have, the more you leave behind. And there's a third danger of greed, and that's that greed brings pain and destruction. So we've seen that greed will tempt us to do whatever necessary to acquire what we want. We've seen that greed teaches us the false or the myth that more will be enough. We find that it's never enough. But then in verses 9 and 10, Paul also reminds that greed brings pain and destruction. Verse 10 says, the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. And then it goes on to say how it will bring us to destruction. And again, we need to understand it's the love of money. It doesn't depend on how much you have. It depends on your attitude toward what you have and don't have. I came across some quotes of wealthy people who came to the realization that things don't satisfy, instead that things can bring heartache and pain. W.H. Vanderbilt said this, The care of $200 million is enough to kill anyone. There is no pleasure in it. John Jacob Astor, who was a very wealthy businessman, said, I am the most miserable man on earth. John D. Rockefeller said, I have made many millions, but they have brought me no happiness. Andrew Carnegie, millionaires seldom smile. You see, greed can cause pain, and it also can destroy by keeping people from focusing on and trusting God, we cannot focus on or put our trust in things. We cannot do it for our happiness today, or we cannot do it for our hope for eternity. And it's interesting, Jesus said some very fascinating things about money and things, and and we may misunderstand some of these. He, He made the statement, he says, it's easier for a camel to go through an eye of a needle than a rich man to enter heaven. What's he telling us? He's telling us that if if we trust our riches, if we trust our things for eternity, we have no hope. Again, it comes back to the attitude. Am I controlled by greed? Jesus met with a, a rich young man, and the rich young man said, so what do I need to do to enter heaven? And Jesus said, well, follow the commandments. And this young man, a little bit of... Uh, pride showing up here in a false statement. He said, oh, I have done everyone from my youth. We know we're all sinners, but uh, he was pretty proud of how he lived. And Jesus said, all right, one more thing, sell everything you have. And it says that the man went away sad because he had many possessions. Now, you have to understand when Jesus tells a story, he's bringing it to bring a certain point. And the point there isn't the fact that he had possessions. The point was that he put his trust, his faith in his possessions. 
And if my focus is on my possessions, I'm going to live a miserable life. The landfill is filled with many things that we could not live without. But we see God desires for us to focus on Him. And that can give us joy for today and hope for eternity. But greed causes us to put our trust in temporal things. We think, I can't live without it. But if there is something I can't live without, I don't own it. It owns me. Have you heard the story of the fly in the flypaper? The fly is flying around, lands on the flypaper, and says, my flypaper. <laughs> Not a good ending for the fly. We need to recognize if we say, I can't live without it, it owns us. Leo Tolstoy wrote a short story titled, How Much, man does, or How Much Land excuse me, Does a Man Desi- Require? It's a story of a, a poor man, he, he named him Pahom, who wanted more, and he started very poor, and so he worked and worked to get more, and then he thought, if I just had land, then I would have attained, and then I could be happy. So he was able, he worked, and he worked, and he worked, where he was able to purchase a little land, and a little more land, and a little more land, and he was excited, thinking, just a little bit more, just a little bit more. Well, one day he heard of a tribe called the Bashkirs, I believe that's how you pronounce it, and these, this tribe of people had a, a great deal of land. So Pahom, and by this time he had a servant, and he, he took his servant with him to, to go and to visit the Bashkirs and to visit their chief to see if he could purchase some land. Well, the chief told him that the land cost a thousand rubles a day. And Pahom looked at the chief sort of strangely. A thousand rubles a day? Do you mean like an acre or whatever they used in Russian to measure land? No. Here's what happens. You give a thousand rubles, and it's, you get to have as much land as you can travel around in a day. And you get all that for a thousand rubles. But there's a couple things you need to understand. You start your travel at sunrise, and it ends at sunset. And if you don't make it back to the starting point by sunset, you don't get any of it. But home, hmm, that could be a pretty good deal. I'll do it. So the next morning, the chief and some of the people from the, dry, uh, from the tribe met Pahom and his servant up at the top of a hill, and the chief put out his fur cap, set it on the ground, and, and Pahom put his thousand rubles there in the hat, and he was given a shovel. And so what would happen is, is how, how it worked is he'd start out in one direction, And when he would get to the end that he would go in that direction, he would dig up some dirt, 
to mark the one corner, and then he'd turn 90 degrees, and he'd go that direction as far as he desired to go. And when he came to that corner, he'd dig another corner of the land, and then he'd go the third direction, the under 90 degrees, and then the fourth direction back to the starting point to make a square or a rectangle. But again, he couldn't start till sunrise, and he had to be done by sunset. So the sun came up over the hills, and Pahom started out as quickly as he could on his journey, starting the first side of the land that was going to be his. And he started going along, and what he thought was about a quarter of the way through the day, he thought, you know, I probably should turn and start my second side. But he, but he looked ahead, and the land just, just ahead of him in the direction he was going looked pretty good. Maybe there was a creek or something like that that he would love to have included in his land. So he went a little bit further and a little bit further, and finally he said, I need to go the second he was starting to get more tired, but he, he turned around and went on the second side of his, of his land that he was going to have, and he, and he went, and he went, and he said, well, just maybe a little bit further, and finally he said, I better put my stake there, so he dug that second corner, corner dig for his, for his land, and he started on the third side, and he went, and he went, and he recognized that he had probably cut it too close. So he dug that third hole and he started back towards where he had begun that morning at sunrise. And his lungs were burning. And his legs were aching. And he was racing along knowing that he was probably too late. And he came down to the base of the hill where they had started at the top as the sun went down. And he thought, I have failed. But he noticed the people up on the top of the hill were still cheering. And he recognized that he was down at the bottom so he couldn't see the sun. But up on the top of the hill they still could. So he raced with all of his might, his lungs almost bursting. He raced with all of his might to try to make it to the top of the hill. And finally he got to the top of the hill. He saw the fur cap he had to touch by sunset. And as the sun was just going down over the, over the hills, he dove and touched his hand on the fur cap. He had finished. And the people cheered and the chief made a little statement, the land is yours. But Pahom was still laying face down with his hand reached out to the fur cap, and, and his servant went over to him. And as he went over to him and, and started to try to get him up, he recognized that in his exhaustion, Pahom had died. And so the servant took Pahom's shovel that he still clutched in his hand and went over a little ways away and dug a hole six feet long and three feet wide. Tolstoy ends the short story, How Much Land Does a Man Require? <laughs> What's the answer? Six feet by three feet. Greed. God has given us all things richly to enjoy. And money and things can be enjoyed, can be used for many 
good things. But it's all about our attitude. How much is enough? Are we going to be like Pahom or Howard Hughes or really Solomon from the Old Testament? Just a little bit more. Or are we going to thank God for what we have? Give him the praise and use it for his glory. Contentment and greed. The really opposites. But God desires that we have a right attitude towards the things that we're blessed with. Don't fall into the same trap that Pahom fell into. Don't let greed control our actions. Don't let greed control our goals. Rather, we need to be content. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your love. I pray that you would help us today to recognize that you are in control, that you give us all things richly to enjoy, as we'll read in a few verses here in 1 Timothy 6. Lord, help us to hold on to things loosely, not to hoard. Lord, help us also not to desire things in an unhealthy way, not to be covetous. Help us not to be controlled by the desire for things, but to be controlled by our love for you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.